A story is told about General William Westmoreland. He one day was reviewing a platoon of paratroopers, and as he came down that line, he was asking every one of them as he was shaking their hand, one question, how do you like jumping, son? And he just went, one question, one after the, how do you like jumping, son? How do you like jumping, son? Well, the first one said, I love it, sir. The next one said, it's the greatest experience of my life, sir. Then the third one said, I hate it, sir. And the unflappable general kind of taken back, and, and he said, son, why are you doing it? He said, because I love to be around guys who love jumping, sir. <laughs> and how true it is in many of our lives. I know it's true in my life, being around people who are truly jumpers for Jesus. People who are godly and full of grace. People who are visionaries for Christ. People who are passionate about the love for Christ. People who are totally committed to Christ. People who are sold out to Christ. People who have dedicated their life for Christ. Ever since I remember with the 9, 10, 11 years old, to this day, I have always loved to sit at the feet of great jumpers for Jesus. I really do. I've always sought to be in friendship and in fellowship with such people. In my book, The Leadership Style of Jesus, I have a chapter entitled, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. Because the truth is, without those giants in my life, and I dare say the same thing for you, I wouldn't be here today without these great giants. I am convinced in my heart that each one of us needs giants in our lives. Every one of us needs to be a giant for somebody else. The Bible is full of examples of such eternal friendships. You find it, for example, in the friendship between Moses and Joshua. Then you find it in the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. You find it again between Paul and Timothy. But one of the greatest examples of eternal friendships, it was that friendship that was between David and Jonathan. And I'm going to tell you all about it today. Because that is a role model for eternal friendship. David and Jonathan. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that part of Old Testament history, I'm going to give you a very quick overview, very quickly. The nation of Israel, they came out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the Sinai Desert, and then into the Promised Land. And therefore, hundreds of years, ever since they came out of Egypt, they did not have an earthly king. They did not have a human king. They have God as their king. So, after hundreds of years, God guiding them and leading them and being their king and being their leader and being their God and being their provider, they turned to the prophet Samuel and they said to him, we don't like it. We want to have a real king. We want to have a human king that we can feel and touch, that we can manipulate. Now, they didn't say that, but that's really what they had in mind. We are not contented to tell our neighbors when they ask us, who is your king? And we embarrassingly say, God. And so when they ask us, have you seen your king lately? We embarrassingly say, no. And then when they ask us, 
How do you choose your king? How do you lobby your king? We embarrassingly say, he chooses us. And that is a use of translation, but that's exactly what they were saying. And so Samuel cries to the Lord. And then the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. And I see through this. I understand what they're doing. They are tired of me being their king. They want to replace me by an earthly king. They've rejected me. And so Saul becomes the very first human king upon the nation of Israel. And he was a disaster of a king. He was a disaster. But he had a godly son. And that godly son's name was Jonathan. But God did not tell Samuel to anoint Jonathan, his, the son of Saul, to be the heir apparent or the successor of his father. He said, no, I want you to go back yonder and find the son of Jesse, David, 16-year-old boy, and anointed him to be a king to take over after Saul goes. And so he does. But at 16, David had to wait. And listen, let me just stop here for a moment and speak to you who are waiting for God. Some of you know the promises of God, and you've been waiting for God. And you are disappointed with your waiting time. God has given you some great dream, and you're waiting for it. And you're sitting there, and He's saying, how long, O God? Remember this. God's timing is always perfect. And waiting is not always bad. In fact, waiting is good. Because waiting can be a truly a sacred time from the hand of God. Because during that waiting time, you know what God is doing with you? You know what He's doing? He's shaping you. He's molding you. And He's building you up and preparing you. And so wicked King Saul knew that David was anointed of God to become his successor. So he brings him into the palace so he can keep an eye on him. But that's not all that he wanted to do. He wanted to kill David. I mean, he wanted to kill him. And he went after him with a vengeance. So many times you read in the Scripture how many times Saul tried to kill David and failed. He tried to kill David and failed. Are you ready to hear some word from God? Whenever there are people who try to kill God's vision or God's plan or God's woman or God's man, they will always fail. They will always fail. Because that is the will of God, and it cannot be thwarted. And here's where this incredible eternal friendship becomes so unique in all of the Old Testament. It's so incredible. David was chosen by God to be the future king, develops a friendship, eternal friendship, holy friendship, with the son of the very man who's trying to kill him, Jonathan. And as their eternal friendship begin to unfold, we see that the one thing that has bound their hearts together, the one thing that bound their hearts together was obedience to the revealed will of God. It was obedience to the revealed Word of God. In fact, that's all they had in common. Nothing else. It is mesmerizing for me how sometimes when I see a husband and wife and they want to split, and the first thing they say, well, we just don't have anything in common. I said, give me a break. Of course you do. Of course you do. You seek the glory of God, don't you? You love Jesus, don't you? Yes. Well, you have that in common. That's enough. 
When they get two brothers in, or two sisters in Christ after a wonderful friendship, they're breaking up. So we just don't have anything in common. Yes, you do. You love Jesus. You want the glory of God. You have something in common, far more important than anything else. Please listen to me. David and Jonathan could not be more different from each other. I mean, they couldn't be more different. These two guys were the most unlikely eternal friends. And yet they were, and they were such eternal friends that they have set an example for 3,000 years of God's people looking back and seeing what an eternal friendship looks like. So the friendship was not built around a common background. It was not built around common interests. It was not built around common hobbies. It was not built around a common educational background. It was not built around their common upbringing. It was not built around their common social status or even wealth. But their eternal friendship had only one thing in common, the glory of God. That desire for the glory of God expressed itself in manifold ways. And it can express itself in you and in me in a variety of ways, in our common life together as a church. It can express itself in fellowship. It can express itself in witnessing for Christ. It can express itself in encouraging and exhausting one another to live for Christ and walk with Christ. And the list goes on. And so, David and Jonathan's friendship was an eternal friendship because they had nothing in common other than desire for the glory of God. Let me show you what I mean. Jonathan was the oldest son of King Saul. Jonathan was the heir apparent from the human point of view. Not from God's point of view, from the human point of view. David, on the other hand, was the youngest son of an unknown father. David was God's chosen successor. And he was anointed at the age of 16, and he was waiting, being hunted by Saul. But the contrast between these two, it doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop here. While Jonathan was pampered in the palace of the king, David was working for minimum wages since he was a boy. While Jonathan was privileged, David was despised by his brothers. While Jonathan was well-known, David was hidden from view. While Jonathan was surrounded by servants, David was serving his brother and his older brothers. While Jonathan was a prince, David was a shepherd boy. And the list goes on and on and on. I'm trying to make the point. Did you get it? And yet Jonathan and David's heart... We're knitted together in eternal friendship because each sought to honor God and sought to obey the revealed will of God in their life. It was based on willingness to be obedient to God's vision. Let me read to you four verses that will summarize to you the power of eternal friendship. Four verses, 1 Samuel 23. Beginning at verse 15. Just remember this. This was a very distressful time in David's life. Probably one of the most distressful times that he's ever experienced. This was a time when David has been on the run from Jonathan's father, Saul. And he had come to the end of his rope. But I want you to listen 
to what an eternal friendship looks like. I want you to listen to what an eternal friendship should be all about. Verse 15 of chapter 23. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength where? In God. Here's what Jonathan said. Listen. He said, don't be afraid. He said, my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. Isn't it great to be around somebody who trusts God so much that he wouldn't flinch no matter what and who? You will be king over Israel because God says so. And I will be second to you. Even my father knows that. (laughs) And then the Bible said that the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. Now here's what eternal friendship does. It does two things. First, it encourages. Secondly, it affirms. It encourages and it affirms. You know, I don't have to tell you that in a world friendship terms, friendship in the world is basically built on my needs and how I can have a friend who can meet my needs. You you hear it, you see it, it's it's everywhere. My needs and how can I have somebody meet my needs? No wonder that these types of friendships do not last for very long because they don't view them from an eternal perspective. They are not eternal friendships as we saw in the last message and seeing in this message. Now, I want you to hear me right on this one. Eternal friendship turns the question around and asks, who needs my encouragement? How can I meet the needs for encouraging somebody else? What can I do to be of an encouragement? And when Jonathan went to encourage David, he had everything to lose. Listen to me. He had everything to lose and nothing to gain. The what's in it for me was not even part of his vocabulary. After all, David was a fugitive from his father, Saul. And Jonathan was encouraging the very man who's a threat to his father. (laughs) Jonathan was risking everything, including his own father's wrath. But Jonathan was a friend who understood that the very essence of eternal friendship is encouragement. And today's friendship asks, you know, what? Is in it for me? What can I get out of it? No, 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 no. Jonathan said, what can I give? What can I give? Some of you know that I love to. I love cartoons. Well, particularly Charlie Brown cartoons. And it's one of, one of those cartoons. Linus is uh, on his way to school with a bunch of spring flowers in his hand. And as he walks to school, Charlie Brown meets him along the road and Charlie Brown immediately kind of figures out what Linus is is up to. He's taking flowers to his teacher. And so Charlie Brown says to him, he said, You know, Linus, you will never get anywhere with Mrs. Othmer by trying to use bribery. Upon which Linus kind of turns around and indignant and sits at Charlie Brown in a confrontational way. He says, Bribery? Bribery? This is not bribery. I prefer to think of it as priming the pump. (laughs) That's how worldly friendship works. You see, you see it everywhere. But in eternal friendship, 
the friend gives encouragement. Not for ulterior motives. Not because I want this or I want that. No, 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 no. But because he or she loves to give encouragement. In fact, Jonathan's name means the Lord has given. That's what Jonathan, if your name is Jonathan, it means the Lord has given. And Jonathan gave encouragement to his eternal friend. You see, we all know David. People outside of the church, people are not believers, they know David. Everybody knows about David. They know that um, David was a man after God's own heart. We, we know David as a man who walked by faith. We know David as the man who um, won victory over Goliath. We know David as the man who wrote all these beautiful, magnificent psalms that encourages so many of us when we're going through the valley. We know all about David. But listen to me. At this specific moment in David's life, he was down and discouraged. The great man of God that we know all about him, or we think we do, was in despair. He was in fear. He did not know where to turn. The man who wrote those great psalms, perhaps without Jonathan's encouragement, he may not have made it another day. I want you to look at the essence of Jonathan's encouragement. I want you to look at that and try to model it in your ministry of encouraging others because it's really a wonderful example. The one thing you notice, he never minimized David's problem. He never trivialized David's pain. He never made light of David's fear. He did not try to present himself as the answer to David's problem. He did not try to present himself as a solution to David's problem. No, 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 no. You know what he did? You know what he did? He merely reminded him of the promises of God. That's all he did. He was reminding him of the promise of God. He was reminding him of the Word of God. He was reminding him what God said to Samuel those many years ago. And that's what the ministry of encouragement is all about. It has only one purpose, and that is to remind one another of the promises of God. It's to remind one another of the Word of God. And Jonathan reminded David of the promises of God. What he helped David to do is instead of allowing his fears of soul to overwhelm him and to overcome him, he allowed him to become God-focused and God-centered. And that's what he's doing here. But he also affirmed him. He also affirmed. I want you to look at, at the text. Verse 17. But there's something here that is absolutely incredible. I hope you didn't miss it. You see, it's one thing to believe the revealed will of God. It's one thing to know the word of God. And it's another thing to totally trust the Word of God. Regardless of the circumstances, if everything is turning in the wrong way, you know God said, and therefore it cannot be. And this is what he's doing here. He affirmed to David, he was reminding him what God did a few years ago. Look at verse 17. He said, don't be afraid. He said, my father's soul will not lay hand on you because when you are in the will of God, when you are walking with God, the enemy cannot touch you. The enemy cannot harm you. Nobody can touch you. He said, you shall be king over Israel and I'll be second to you. I cannot help but have kind of 
sense of humor in me, reading that verse, he said, you know, you'll be the king and I'll be second. I thought about this and, and about all of our competitiveness in this world. And I imagine two golfing buddies going in there before they're teeing off. One says, you know, I want you to win today. I'm not going to overdrive. I'm, I just want to lose to you. I imagine two guys who are competing for the same job. And they're working hard to get the same job. And one guy said, you know, brother, he said, I want you to have that job. I'm just going to serve you. It's so alien to our thinking these days. It's so alien. But that's exactly what Jonathan is doing. He is saying, I know what God said. I know what God is going to do. And all you need to do is just focus on what God said. There's something else about Jonathan and David's eternal friendship. They did not drift in and out of friendship. They were committed to one another. And commitment needs to constantly be nurtured and affirmed. Verse 18, the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. You wonder, where did they get this idea of making a covenant with one another? Where did they get this idea? Where did they get the idea? You see, they knew God. They knew God to be the covenant God. They knew God to be the covenant-making God, and they knew God to be the covenant-keeping God. And because they knew God, they were imitating God, and they made a covenant with one another. And in developing eternal friendships, we must learn what it means to be in covenant. You know, I don't have to tell you that in our culture today, covenants are not taken seriously. They're really not. In days gone by, people made a covenant by shaking hands. And you know what? They'll die before going back and reneging on the covenant. Today, you can have a 100-page contract, and you can get out of it somehow. Today, we don't take the power of agreement seriously because we really don't understand it. You see, now we think that power comes from activities, We think that power comes from activism. We think that power comes from plans and strategies. Good as all these things may be, power comes. The supernatural power of God comes in commitment, in covenant, in agreement. Let me ask you this. Have you ever ever reneged on a covenant or a commitment you made? Only you can answer that between you and God. I can tell you this. If you have, we have a God of grace. And you can go back. And you can repent. And you can turn to Him. And you can ask Him for the strength to go back and re-keep the covenant. If you've never made a covenant with God, if you've never surrendered your life to Him, you can today. If you've never known what it is to be in covenant with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ... Try it. Try it and see how eternal friendship not only encourages the other person, but it also affirms the other person. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Org.